This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 562 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. The final Infinite Frontier, reporting from Arnold, D.C., Suicidal Pen Pals, we're off to see the fairies, Don't Open That Door, Gus, a spooky story from Jeff Johns that's not Batman v Superman, and industry news. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, March 14th, 2021. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts and blogs, or you can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash SFPBN or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Infinite Frontier number zero by William Centinian IV, Snyder, Bendis, Clunan, Conrad, Jones, Sheridan, Johnson, Johns, Thorne, Marquez, Jimenez, Martinez, Morales, Belair, Byrne, Tarragona, Eagle, Maliv, Knox, Soy, Porter, Romita Jr., and Jansen. The official start of the latest Not a Reboot. We begin with Wonder Woman, who saved the multiverse in the Dark Metal saga, now all dressed in white. After she literally looks at the title's logo, we see that she's been brought before the Quintessence, composed of Zeus, Hera, Phantom Stranger, Ganthet, the Spectre, and High Father. They are essentially the Supreme Court of the DCU, only brought in for major decisions. They offer Diana a spot on the team to chronicle the new multiverse. This may take a while, as they explain. Where there once stood 52 universes, walled off from the greater omniverse, there are now countless universes, and we can sense no boundaries. The manipulations of your homeworld's timeline, see Doomsday Clock, have been undone, and time has been restored in its proper configuration. Also, future state is defined as a possible future. Diana is flattered but wants to make sure her friends are okay. Plus, she was warned of a great cost to restart the multiverse. The quintessence know nothing of this cost and offer Spectre to guide her around to see what has happened before she makes her decision. So, just a big framing sequence. Spectre and Diana see... Superman learning of a new hero named Shazadam, or Shazadam, a.k.a. Black Adam, an attack on Arkham with Bane Jokerized, Barbara Gordon back as Oracle, by choice this time, kicking off a new Birds of Prey with Huntress, Cassandra Cain as Batgirl, Stephanie Brown as Batgirl, and possibly Black Canary, Grifter dropping in on Lucius and Jace Fox, Hippolyta putting Nubia in charge as she goes off into Man's World, Yara Floor as a teenager going off to the Amazon, the JSA headquarters, yay, with Jade and Obsidian meeting with their father, Alan Scott, who announces he's gay. Students and an interloper going to Titan's Tower, now an academy for young heroes. John Kent fighting, then saving an interdimensional alien, with Spectre warning Diana that he's a threat. 
Ollie and Dinah back together as a couple. I guess that was off the table during the Arrow TV series, but with that completed. Arsenal finding himself back from the dead. Stargirl fighting a bad guy when Pat Dugan is called by the Seven Soldiers. All of this is clearly based on the TV universe. Batman saving an Arkham guard only to be told by the cops that masks will no longer be allowed in Gotham. A man named Simon Saint allied with Scarecrow in the beginning of the Magistrate program. GL's John Stewart and Simon Boz escorting Teen Lantern in a ship to Oa. Barry Allen working with the Justice League incarnate, the multiversal version of the League, monitoring the formation of the New Worlds. He calls in Wally West, now apparently exonerated of the events of Heroes in Crisis, and Barry hands off Flash duties to him. After Diana sees a double-page spread of various events and heroes, she decides the world can and should move on without her. That doesn't mean she accepts the quintessence's offer. Instead, she wants to go off and explore this infinite frontier. Epilogue, the quintessence wonder if they should have mentioned Earth Omega, where a terrible threat has been trapped. Gee, you think? The terrible threat immediately escapes and wipes out the quintessence. It's Darkseid, now imbued with all the power of all the dark sides of the Omniverse. Darkseid is the end. To be continued throughout the DCU, especially a six-issue Infinite Frontier mini coming out this summer. Crime Syndicate number one of six by Schmidt, McKeon, Hitch, Vines, Olive, and Sinclair. With the not-a-reboot, we have a new version of Earth-3, first introduced back in 1964 in Justice League of America number 29. It's the DC version of Star Trek's Mirror Universe with the heroes turned into villains. On Earth-3, America's founding father is Benedict Arnold. The U.S. is a tyrannical government. In Dallas 1963, Generalissimo Kennedy is assassinated, but not by a bullet. It's a flying boy with laser eyes. Cut to Metropolis today, where there's news of new Bigfoots, a.k.a. Metas, popping up. The Daily Planet, run by Editrix Cat Grant, is arguing with Jimmy Olsen about a hit piece on Ultraman, who throws a planet delivery truck through the window as a warning. In Arnold, D.C., not Washington, D.C., of course, federal agents are worried that President Queen is being influenced by the ambassador from Demon's Island, a.k.a. Themyscira. They break into the Oval Office to find Queen tied up by Superwoman. In Coast City, a crooked cop and a hoodlum are given equal and fatal justice by Power Ring. In Central City, Johnny Quick and Atomica are causing lethal mayhem. All are stopped by an alien attack. It's the Earth-3 version of Starro, just like the JLA's first team-up. During all this, in Gotham City, a robber is fatally stopped by Owlman. The intended victim takes a photo of him, and since Owlman likes to remain folklore, that's a problem. Thankfully, Alfred shoots the victim in the back. Owlman is getting reports about the alien attack and wants to know why Gotham was spared. There is a backup story with Ultraman's origin. I assume each issue will have one of these starts the same way until the rocket is found by the scheming Kents. Clark is taught to do all the chores so they will protect him from the deplorables and freeloaders. The Earth-3 Kents are clearly Trump supporters. It's clear that his powers are public knowledge. The Kents finally tell him about how he came to Earth and Clark freaks out, calling them liars. He flies away with the rocket, leaving the Kents to wonder about their fate. 
Rorschach number six from DC Black Label by King Fornes and Stewart. Most of this issue is a series of letters between the young cowgirl and Ponchett's pirate and the citizen creator Will Meyerson. He considers his time on pirate wasted. She's suicidal, but Meyerson sees a kindred spirit and he convinces her to come see him. During all this, she has already begun her murderous spree on those she considers evil. Intercutting this is the presidential debate with Turley trying to cut President Redford for his unwillingness to prepare for the next alien invasion as mocked up in Watchmen. Also, the federal agent gets a packet of those letters and drives cross-country listening to Meyerson's seance tapes with special guests Frank Miller and Otto Binder. I feel this title is meandering a little bit now. The Dreaming, Waking Hours number 8 from DC Black Label by Wilson, Robles, and Lopez. We continue the Fairy King arc as we look in on the nurse from the last issue who saw the true forms of the angel and the nightmare. She meets her boyfriend at a coffee shop and, oh boy, he's the guy Ruin saw in his dreams. Meanwhile, Heather works to convince Ruin and the angel to accompany her on her trip to the land of fairy where she has to depose Queen Nuala. The angel is very much against the idea and doesn't want Ruin to be hurt. Despite his misgivings, they go on with the plan. Fairy begins with unbelievable loveliness. Wow, does anybody smell weed? I smell weed, but quickly turns into a barren landscape. Meanwhile, Pumpkinhead and Dream have a chat about the latter's concerns about allowing Ruin to wander the waking world. In flies Matthew to tell him that Heather has the amulet used to imprison Dream in the first place. Dream knew this was a bad idea. Back in Fairy, the group meets a tree nymph trying to die. He tells them there was an uprising when Nuala took over and a war devastated the land. The Unseelie patrol the land, making sure Nuala's rule is absolute. He tells them they have to leave, and the angel is all for it. Back to Dream, who comes to find the amulet and free Goldie, who's not actually in custody. Dream believes that which has happened before will happen again. Back to Fairy, who keep searching for Nuala's garden, only to find creatures dancing and cavorting. Heather and Ruin are immediately taken in, but the angel resists. He's thrown to the side, and the rest of the group are taken away. The age of the Unseelie has just begun. Sweet Tooth number five of six from DC Black Label by Lemire and Villarubia. The mom has found her daughter along with Gus and Earl. She decides to take her daughter back so she can tell the others, since it would be impossible to sneak in the hybrids. They're to stay hidden until she returns. Meanwhile, the matron that let them go is brought before Father. When the guards say they have to find them, Father says, No, Magistrate, we don't. Mother and daughter return to the family, only to find the grandfather dead. The group decides they have to bring Gus and Earl out in the open, which will save us all. Back to Father, who explains he wanted all this to transpire. He wanted the matron to be weak so she would start the events in motion. Gus is ready to infect the outside world and wipe out the hybrids. Earl is just the canary in the coal mine and the first to die. Unfortunately, Earl has decided to run with Gus riding him across the river. The last panel is Gus and Earl about to open the locked vault door to the outside. One issue to go. Black Hammer Visions number 2 from Dark Horse by Johns, Collins, Crabtree, and Picos. Jeff Johns steps in to write an issue of this anthology series based in the Hammerverse. Johns not known for horror, although he got good reviews for a Wildstorm horror title, Possessed, in the 2000s. A new sci-fi horror book of his, Geiger, is coming out soon from Image. Anyway... 
if you're going to do horror in the Hammerverse, it has to involve Madame Dragonfly. She takes us to the cabin of horrors, but not before warning us of the cost of reading it. The tortured beings revealed within these pages want to know yours. If you're okay with that, keep reading. We meet a good old boy driving in the rain, stopped by a cop, who just warns him not to stop for anything over the next few miles. We also learn he has a kid tied up in the back seat. Of course, the guy stops for cigarettes. The kid escapes. The guy chases him into a spooky cabin. There are many doors inside, each with a rune on them. In one, the boy finds a man with an axe who kills to save his starving family. Another has kids in cages who want him to join them. A third takes him to a hospital room with his mother about to die. The guy finally finds him, and then Madame Dragonfly steps in, allowing the beings in the rooms to come out and play. They quickly overcome and kill the guy. The boy, of course, is traumatized by all this, and Madame tells him he can't go back to the real world, turning him into Kid Dragonfly. Now, it's time for you to share. Yeah. Next issue, an early Abraham Slam story by sex criminals Chip Zdarsky. Some quick industry news. DC is publishing a Pride anthology, a one-shot, in June, starring the LGBTQ members of the DCU. There will be variant covers throughout the month. Batwoman, Renee Montoya, Alan Scott, Midnighter, Apollo, Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, and John Constantine will be featured. There's also Extraño, one of the first openly gay characters in the DCU going back to Millennium in 1988. The character died of AIDS but still had a small part in a rebirth title. This one-shot will include a dreamer story co-written by the actress that plays the trans hero on Supergirl, Nicole Maines. Bendis will be kicking off a new Checkmate series for DC. Looks like they're bringing together Lois Lane... Green Arrow, Question, Manhunter, Steve Trevor, and Mr. Bones. Essentially a follow-up to the Event Leviathan mini. There's a big brouhaha going on about NFTs, huh? NFT stands for Non-Fungible Token, a digital object that can be tied to a piece of art or other things, which is kind of a digital certificate of authenticity, as well as proof that this is a one-of-a-kind item. Just this past week, an NFT of a work of art by Beeple sold, along with the digital collage he created, for $69 million, making him the highest paid artist for a single work ever. This was done through Christie's, the preeminent auction house, which makes it legit. Christie's is now accepting cryptocurrency, by the way. There's a whole controversy about NFTs, namely, are they actually worth anything? How much environmental impact do they have? NFTs, like cryptocurrency, involve a ton of servers sucking up electricity. What does this have to do with comics? Jose Delgo, a former DC and Marvel artist, has been selling NFTs of his drawings online, making $1.85 million. On Friday, DC sent out a letter to their creatives saying that NFTs are a no-no, mainly because DC wants to make their own NFTs. The problem here is not a new one. Comic publishers have traditionally looked the other way when artists sell drawings and prints of their characters. In fact, a large chunk of comic conventions involve an artist alley where you can meet creatives and, most importantly, buy their stuff, much of which is based on pre-existing characters they don't own. So, 
Does DC and the rest have a legal leg to stand on when they didn't protect their copyright in when it was physical, but now that it's digital, they can? Hmm. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out tumblr.com slash blog slash sfppn. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.